0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Hey baseball fans, prospect hounds, Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo fans. Welcome to another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Guys, we have a, uh, we're saying just before we started here, a rather meaty episode today. we got a ton to talk about. Arizona Fall League rosters are out as you're listening to this podcast. We're excited about that. We'll break those down. Maybe even do a little Arizona Fall League, Fantasy League draft. Uh, We'll talk about the postseason. A bunch of rookies on postseason rosters. We will uh, look at some rookies who could make a splash in the postseason and look at how the 10 postseason teams were constructed. We do that each year. We will rank this year's rookies both on their 2021 performance and uh, Jim has done his annual story projecting the future value of everyone in this year's, not everyone in this year's rookie class, the top 25, 30, 30. top 30. Uh, That always uh, gets people up in arms. We'll talk about that, and we'll wrap up by answering some questions from you, the listeners, in the mailbag. All right, guys, let's start with Arizona Fall League rosters. The postseason is underway. That's obviously the big story in baseball, but in our little corner of the baseball universe, uh, we are most excited about Arizona Fall League rosters. What, what year is this for the Arizona Fall League? Do we know? I've, I've lost track. We're into the 20s. Nobody knows.
2: I the, oh, hold on. Well, so it is cause we didn't have, I think this is the 29th right. season. Cause we didn't Whoa. have one last year. You
0: no, know, Otherwise we'd be celebrating a nice big anniversary. I think. Wow. Right.
1: So we know, yeah, we're not into the thirties. We're, we're into the twenties. We're nearly out of the twenties. Uh, um, cause
2: I think the first year was 1991, but since we missed a year, this is only the 30th season.
1: And this is, I know, uh, one of, if not, your very favorite uh, part of the year is the Arizona fall league. Is that is that accurate to say for both of you?
2: Yeah, I, 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 for me, it's it's the fall league and the college World Series are my two favorite events every year.
0: i uh, I, I would say the fall league and getting Jim Callis's Christmas card. Those are my two Ooh. favorite things. but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I think we talked about this all the time, you know, either on this podcast or elsewhere. It's just, you know, if you're a baseball fan and, you know, like traveling, it, it, like I can't stress enough how good a time it would be to come to the especially after not having it for a year. It's just, you know, it's, it's really laid back. The access to players is fantastic. You get to see unbelievable talent every day on the field. Um, for us, you know, there are tons of scouts around other prospect writers. It's just, um, it's like a prospect Shangri-La.
2: It's like spring training without the crowds and more prospects playing in the games. Um, yep. And I, I don't know the exact number. I think they've lost track. But, I mean, there's something – I think more than 3,000 players have gone from the fall league to the big leagues. It's something like 300 all-stars, and I don't have the count of award winners, but it's numerous rookies of the year and MVPs and Cy Young award winners – Um, and the other thing is you see guys play in the fall league one year and then make a huge splash the next year. I mean, we see that time and again. Um, and so, I mean, I, I, I cannot sell the experience enough. If if you like spring training, just imagine spring training, but you don't have to battle, you know, six, 7,000 fans for parking and to get into the ballpark, you kind of have the park to yourself. It's, it's much smaller crowds. All
1: right. And this year, the rosters feature 17 of the top 100 prospects in baseball. Uh, I believe that number is down a little bit from last year. I'd be interested in going back to, uh, I, I think we we keep track of this uh, each year when the rosters come out of the number of top 100 prospects uh, that are on rosters. I think the, the total number is down a little bit from last year, but four of the top seven prospects in baseball will be in the Arizona Fall League this year, uh, starting with number four, Spencer Torkelson uh, of the Tigers. Number five, Marco Luciano of the Giants. Number six, C.J. Abrams of the Padres, and number seven, Riley Green of the Tigers. Uh, guys, that is a formidable foursome.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a really good group. Uh, I think it was twenty in in 2019, and just you know, when we say last year, it's like uh, mathematical. Last I did year. it again. The last the last time that it was the Fall League. Um, we're just going to forget that 2020 didn't happen or did happen or whatever. But, uh, it, yeah, that's a, it's a really good group at the top. Uh, there's some really exciting names. You know, you know, a guy like C.J. Abrams, who was hurt, uh, excited to see him back. His Padres organization mate, Mackenzie Gore, uh, who kind of lost his way uh, a little bit in this last year and change. I think it's going to be really exciting to see if he can get himself back on track. I mean, there there are countless guys. It's going to be fun to say. Like I said, every day you're going to see some or a bunch of these guys on the field that, at one time uh, if if you head out to the folly.
2: Yeah, I mean, every team's going to be loaded. I mean, you have guys... Like you know, J.J. Blade, who had rough years, who are going to try to get back on track. You know, the Rangers sent a couple of their better sluggers, and Justin Foscue and Sam Huff, who missed a good chunk of the year, two months each, and they're going to make up for some lost time. You know, Tristan Casas was off with the Olympic team, and, and so he missed some time, not because of injury. Um, you know, we, we we've got three pretty good pitchers in the league, guys. I mean, usually pitching's the, the, the hitters are way ahead of the pitchers because anybody who has a full, healthy season of pitching, they usually don't stack more innings on them. But I will say with Mackenzie Gore and Asa Lacey and Bobby Miller, th- th- that's a pretty good threesome of pitchers uh, for the fall league this fall.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm curious to see Miller. I feel like he's a guy that uh, I have not seen a lot and have, and relative to other top 100 pitchers have not heard a lot about him. I'm just not that familiar with. Um, but I know, I know Dodgers fans are extremely excited about him. Um, is there anyone in particular that uh, whether it's a top 100 prospect or, or not that you guys are when you saw the name, uh, when you're scanning through the rosters that that really uh, got your attention or excited you?
2: For me, it was Marco Luciano. I mean, I I think I said a number of times back in the spring that the two guys I was hoping to see this year more than anybody were Jason Dominguez and Marco Luciano. So I'm really excited about getting the chance to see Marco Luciano play for the Scorpions. You know, one of the younger players in the league. And, you know, I would think he probably has the best bat speed in the league, too.
0: I can't believe Jim only picked one guy. That's amazing. That's right. Um,. I think, you know, the first guy that comes to mind is Abrams, you know, just because we didn't really get a chance to see what he could do. Um, And, you know, watching what Bobby Witt did and Abrams went straight to double A and then got hurt. You know, we could be talking about Abrams the same way that we're talking about, uh, you know, Bobby Witt now. So, you know, I I think he is the guy that if I were to circle one and, you know, lo and behold, Luciano's number five on our top 100, Abrams is number six. Uh, So... Uh Abrams is on that Peoria team that's got five top 100 guys on it so that's going to be a fun team to watch.
1: All right. Speaking of teams, uh we have decided that we are going to draft our own Arizona Fall League teams. Uh we're going to do a little Arizona Fall League fantasy and we're going to conduct that draft right now. Um we decided to keep it extremely simple. There will be one statistical category. That will be total bases. Maybe, maybe we should work in a caveat somehow, guys. That if uh, if a player leaves or is injured, we can replace him. No, Uh, no, you're you're stuck. If uh, (laughs) if your guy leaves early,
2: I mean, I, I would say I'd be open to maybe two weeks in. We can all add a player.
0: I'm good with that. We're doing this on the fly here, folks. So, yeah. you know, I, 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 I like that rule.
1: <laughs> we also don't have a draft order. What's our draft order?
0: Well, who won the last Arizona? Oh, wait. Um, you know what, Jason? You're the host. You get the number one pick.
2: I mean, you it, could determine who goes second, but then it's Serpentine. This has to be Serpentine to be fair. Well, it's going to be. Un- so yeah. now somebody's ringing my door. I have no idea. Doorbell. That's, I have uh, no idea. Jason okay. has the, brought in an Jim, advisor
0: he's getting help
2: interesting
1: okay uh all right i'll go first um i am going to take riley green wow
2: no position no team you're just gonna <laughs> take him not telling anybody anything about him people know about Riley. what are okay, you going to
1: tell them about riley green
0: all right who has the number two pick
1: Oh yeah, I've got a uh, <laughs> the number two pick is going to go to Jim and his advisor.
2: Okay, well, I'm I I I I, I got chided by members of this organization for not picking this player <laughs> in the in home the run futures run. game home run derby we did, and I will not make that mistake again. I will take, <laughs> I will give you his, his position in team. I will take Tigers corner infielder Spencer Torkelson. Yeah, he. Uh, he won Jonathan the home run derby. Yeah, future. not only did you get chided, but you got burned by that.
0: Yeah, yes. he, uh, he he helped me win.
2: I think I took Marco Luciano over him maybe.
0: You, you may have. Um and you just took him ahead of him again. Well, no, he, no, he no I took Torkelson
2: time. over Luciano. Right. I think so, I I I bypassed so Torkelson I'm going to Luciano. go
0: All right. So now I'm going to I'll flip the script cuz I will take Marco Luciano and CJ Abrams in this serpentine draft. All right. Was, all right. So Luciano, obviously, we talked about him already. Shortstop for the Giants, and CJ Abrams, the talented shortstop for the San Diego Padres.
2: Oh, and we mentioned off the air we 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 each have to take one non-top 100 prospect as part of our five-man team, uh, yeah.
0: right? Yep.
2: Okay. Um I'm going to go Tristan Casas, uh, first baseman, Boston Red Sox, as my second-round pick. Wow!
1: Sniped my pick there again.
2: <laughs> sorry not I mean, sorry not, really but i will pretend to be sorry well you, you can take your your cardinals fan I, I left it wide open for you i know
1: i know i'm, I'm debating but you get i think two here so
2: you get to pick two so you don't have to debate too no, that's
1: hard. okay all right so i'm gonna take uh, i'll take a couple of uh, well originally third baseman uh, now, second base slash third base, Nolan Gorman, and also going to take third base slash outfielder, and that's Brett Beatty.
2: I, I was hoping to get Brett Beatty. I'm a big Brett Beatty fan, but I will, I will, I will Let instead break Jonathan's heart by taking Pirates second baseman Nick Gonzalez, who was very hot at the at season's end.
1: I like that pick. Oh
0: man. That was my next pick. I only want to take middle infielders. Um, Now I'm scrambling. <sighs> okay. Man, how much according to like chalk have we gone here, by the way, in terms of the top 100? We're, we're not that well, far Jason off. Jason
2: took the fourth ranked yeah, he, player first. Right, so right. Since then, it's been pretty...
0: I mean, but the players have gone, so... Yeah, right. yeah, you
2: know, since then, it's been almost all chalk. The only guy who wasn't chalk... We, we've actually taken them in top 100 order exactly, except for Gabriel Moreno of the Blue Jays. Still out there.
0: Yeah, who well, I'm considering, but the catchers don't play as much, so that's, I'm, I'm staying away from it. All right, I'm going to gonna, I'm gonna go... Uh, I'm going to say that I believe in J.J. Bladé, and I'm going to take him, and then I'm going to take Sam Huff, uh, who has been a catcher, but is going to be playing first base in the Arizona Fall League? Wait, you the can't Texas do that. Rangers.
1: Why can't he? Well, doesn't he have to take a non-top 100 process? There's only four players. It's so. four players. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Right, well if the draft order had
2: been different, Jason might have shocked us by taking his uh, non top one hundred guy around early. Well, I, I'm delayed I I will have to say I'm delighted with the way this draft has worked out. <laughs> I would have I would have liked to have Brett Beatty, but I'm very happy to get Nick Gonzalez. And the guy I was hoping Jonathan would bypass is slugging second baseman Justin Foscue mm-hmm. uh of the Texas Rangers. So I will take Justin Foskew with my fourth pick. I, I would have been very happy with Sam Hoff also.
0: All right, Jason for two.
2: I also, like Jonathan, was thinking the same thing you were. I didn't want to say it out loud. I was reluctant to take the catcher because I'm just not sure how much Gabriel Moreno is going to play compared to these other guys.
0: Right, even if he's even if he's a you know semi regular, the catchers get rotated in and out a lot more frequently yep. for obvious reasons. And so if we're just doing it based on total bases, I can't go Gabriel Moreno or Shea Langoliers for that matter.
1: All right. Uh, Jonathan, who did you take after? Uh,
0: I took J.J. Blade and Sam Huff. Got it. Would you like me to go through the the entire draft quickly? I got, it. I got okay. it.
2: I'm good. And Jason's just stalling as his advisor is preparing some scouting reports for him.
1: Okay. Give me Bryson Stott. Mm-hmm. And now I go non-top 100. Yep. Non-top 100. All right. Take a quick scan here.
2: And so everybody knows, I predicted. I, I didn't put it in an envelope, but I I slacked I have Jason the name of Jonathan's non top one hundred pick, along with a sleeper p- plan B, but in case this guy gets taken.
1: <laughs> All right, my non top one hundred prospect. I was I was tempted to go with Cespedes just because he's Cespedes, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go with Curtis Mead.
2: Okay. Of the Rays. Of the field. Rays. Aussie. There you go. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick. I did not plan this. I'm gonna go fifth straight outfielder and third ranger selected in this draft. I'm going to take Ezekiel Duran who is part of the Joey Gallo trade. Uh, I'm hoping to watch to see many games where is playing second and Duran's playing short. And they, uh, and they both just uh, have many total bases in the same game together.
0: Interesting. So now I'm left with trying to figure out if I want to pick the guy you think I'm going to pick. If that makes any sense whatsoever. So I think that you think I'm going to take Ryan Vallade. Ding, ding, ding. I am not going to take Ryan Vallade. Let's
2: see if you go for my sleeper pick then. <laughs> I, I had a backup plan. Uh,
0: the sleeper pick is Jeremiah Jackson. Ooh. No? No.
1: He had okay. Cade Marlowe.
0: Um, Cade Marlowe was the backup pick.
2: Had a huge year.
0: I, he did have a huge year. I'm actually, my my uh, non top 100 guy is actually going to be Kyle Stowers of the Baltimore Orioles. All
2: right. Although I did think it.
0: about Ryan Belade, but I feel like I can't take him now.
2: So, well, maybe maybe that was all mind game. I didn't want you to pick Ryan Valle. So I, I put that wavelength out there. We well, now now
0: in two weeks. You know, if we have that rule where two weeks in, we
1: can add a guy when you and take two Ryan weeks from now,
2: you'll be adding Joey Weemer Is my prediction.
1: <laughs> all, right. all right. So the team the teams are set. We'll uh, we'll have updates uh, over the course of the fall sure. next season here on the podcast. And uh, this, of course, as as any time we. Uh, compete or wager on anything will be for $25,000. Uh, we, we had not discussed that previously, but that's just kind of. Irrelevant. No,
0: I, I think it goes without saying at this yeah. point.
1: All right. That's going to do it for our fall league talk. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk postseason. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast
2: Be a pro with AC Pro.
1: Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We talked Arizona Fall League. Now we're going to dig into the postseason, which is underway. Uh, Every year as the postseason gets underway, we do a story that looks at how each of the postseason teams were built. Uh, We've done so again this year, and uh, I think, guys, every year when we do this, we find that there are different ways to build a a successful team. The way that we do this is because we're doing it in advance of the rosters being set. So this is based on the projected division series rosters. Uh, So this year, looking at the 26 players that we uh, think are going to be on those rosters, um, was there anything in particular this year that jumped out to you guys? I know that, uh, it, so we, we look at, uh, how teams acquired the players on the postseason rosters, whether they were homegrown, uh, picked in the draft or signed as an international free agent, whether they were, uh, joined the team via a trade or waivers or rule five selection, or were signed as a free agent. Uh, so back to my question any, anything in particular that jumped out to you guys this year?
2: Well, A lot of these teams have, have been in the playoffs, so like it, it's not anything new. But I mean, I, I think the two like, – like, one, the overarching theme is that there's many different ways to build a contender uh, and to build a playoff club. Like, like nobody really does it the same way. But, it, but the, I thought it was interesting, if you look at the two best teams – well, the best team in each league, the Rays and, – and this isn't new. We've done the Rays before – 19 players acquired via trade. You would think of the of the Rays as being this homegrown. They've got to develop their own talent, which they do. They develop a lot of trade fodder. But 19 of their 26 players yeah. were acquired by trade, which was by far the most of anybody in baseball. The, the next highest, I think, via trade was the Brewers with 13. And the Yankees had 13 before they were eliminated. And then on the flip side, in the National League, the Giants – you know, their farm system's on the rise. They still have the veterans they drafted years ago, you know, the, the Posies and the Crawfords and those guys. But, but the, the Giants, I guess, if I had to pick the most surprising thing, it would just be their reliance on free agents. They had more than twice as many free agents as anybody. And they weren't, you know, it's not like they're going out and signing guys, you know, like Garrett Cole for $324 million. They're signing guys like Kevin Gossman and Anthony DiSiclafani and Darren Ruff and getting a ton of contributions, from them, so I, I guess that would be the biggest surprise was how many of the short-term free agent deals really paid off for the Giants.
0: Yeah, I think Jim nailed it. Uh, you know, for the, for the most part, those are the the, the bigger standouts. Uh, you know, it, it is funny every year uh, when people voice surprise on you know, especially on Twitter, because uh, I think there's this feeling or the sense that like the Dodgers buy all their players and the Rays say are all homegrown and you know there are different ways to use a strong farm system the Dodgers are more balanced this year than they have been in the past often they're the team with the most homegrown players but they've they've got you know a fairly even even split uh this time around uh now of course the Dodgers have the ability to keep their homegrown players for as long as they as they would like but that's often something that stands out, and uh, like I said, there are about evenly split, eleven homegrown and and ten via, you know, trades or waiver, um, and then the Cardinals. I mean, that's probably the the least surprising uh, because they always you know seem to have a ton of homegrown players on their roster, uh, playoffs or not, and uh, that is true. They led the way with fourteen homegrown players uh, on their on their postseason roster.
1: Another way that we break this down is we look at the war that each player accumulated over the course of this season, each player on the postseason roster, projected postseason roster, and uh, we break that down by category as well. Uh, The single category in which a team accumulated the most war, Jim uh, talked about the Rays already. but they're, the war accumulated by players that they acquired via trade waivers, Rule 5 picks, uh, 31.3. Uh, that's the single highest total of any category. Uh, second would be the Brewers at 25 point. Oh, I'm sorry. 26.1 is the White Sox uh, players acquired via trade. Uh, and then the Brewers 25.7 also players acquired via trade overall, uh, the Giants and Dodgers projected division series rosters with a cumulative war of 53 and a half. Uh, interesting that those two teams neck and neck throughout the entire season and just incredible seasons in the NL West with the exact same, uh, war totals for their projected division series rosters, uh,
2: Hey, Jason, I was going to chime in, too. The Dodgers actually would have blown away everybody and been around 60, but Max Muncy and Clayton Kershaw got hurt in the final few days of the season. Um, So it was even more interesting to me because I do both those teams. Even though the Giants won the division by a game, the Dodgers' projected roster would have been head and shoulders above. They would have been more ahead of the Giants than the Giants were ahead of the Rays or the Red Sox who were seventh and eighth.
1: So, um, was it, I think over the course of like, there was like a two or three year period. Do you you guys remember this where, um, there was a very high percentage of series that, that were postseason series that were won by the team that had the highest cumulative war, um, on their roster going into that series. I, I, I can't remember. I, I want to say it was like around 75%. Do you, does this sound familiar to you guys?
2: No, I do remember that. I, I do remember that.
1: Which I guess is, uh, you know, not entirely surprising. The thing that was surprising to me was that the percentage was, was so high.
2: Yeah, no, I, I do too. So if, and I don't know if you're, you're if you looked into this, Jason, but if, it plays out that way. Who who's going to win the the postseason? Uh, did you look at that?
1: Well, the the uh, Giants and, and Dodgers would would play to a, an eternal tie. We would never, we'll never get past that series.
2: <laughs> well, but Max Muncie might be back, so
1: that that tips it in favor of the
2: who, who who wins the American League.
1: Well, the American League, uh, the White Sox have the highest cumulative uh, WAR at fifty two point one. And the Astros are just behind them at 51.5. So yeah. So, if so that... you're
2: saying replay of the 1959 World Series?
1: Exactly. Guaranteeing it.
2: Dodgers are gonna win this.
1: Guaranteed. Wow.
0: Okay. I'm writing it down.
1: All right. Uh, let's talk about some of the individual player, individual rookies in this postseason. Uh, this is another something else that we do. Yearly, when we go into the postseason, we look at the rookies on the roster and uh, identify some guys who could make a big splash. Um, last year, obviously, was the uh, the postseason that Randy Orozarena, uh kind of uh, forever put his mark on and will forever be known for that postseason and uh, had us fending off. Demands for him to be the number one overall prospect in baseball entering this season, um, and now he's joined by the uh, considerably younger and uh, more ballyhooed uh, player teammate who was in fact the number one overall prospect in baseball. And Wander Franco, uh, the Rays guys are just—I don't know if you could say loaded. It's it's four four players, but they have some serious, serious, uh, rookie talent on the postseason roster.
0: No, it's ridiculous. I mean, you mentioned Wander Franco or Rosarino, Shane McClanahan, Shane Boz, who's going to pitch game two of the American league division series, you know, after making what one major league start. I mean, I love that the Rays are willing to do that and maybe he only goes three innings or, you know, how are they going to play it, but his stuff is going to play. So that, that is an exciting quartet uh, of rookies right there. And I, uh, You know, internally, I don't know if you guys did this. Did you fill out the like the little internal bracket with all the different postseason questions? I picked Wander Franco as my World Series MVP.
2: So I did not fill that out.
0: um,
1: That's a bold call.
0: It is a bold call, but why not? (laughs) Um, that one is not for $25,000. So I figured I could take some more chances. Uh, he, he, you know, so he is the obvious one that stands out. I think the guy that I'm kind of looking at, um, a little bit more is Dylan Carlson in the Cardinals, who you know he had a fine season, nothing spectacular, uh, but got hot at the end and was really performing better. Already has playoff experience on his resume from last year, uh, so I think he is a guy who could help the Cardinals, uh, you know, considerably in the in the postseason.
2: You know, a couple guys I, I'm interested in looking at. I mean, the, the Rays are, are loaded. I mean, they might have the four most interesting rookies, you could argue, <laughs> with, with with those guys. But um, Spencer Strider is a guy who was a fourth-round pick in last year's draft, kind of unheralded. I believe he led the minors in strikeout rate this year, and he pitched it, I, I think, all five levels, right? like yep, yep, low A, high A, double Everywhere. A, triple A, now the big leagues might, you know, I think we're projecting him on the, on the Braves playoff roster. then, you know, that, that's kind of interesting. Um, and then I, I think, you know, one guy who might be really key to his team's success would be Luis Garcia of the Astros. You know, they, they, they you know, Garrett Cole's obviously in New York Verlander's hurt, you know, Grinke's a shell of his, you know, former self, you know, oh, no, I shouldn't say shell, but he's not, you know, peak Zach Grinke. And Luis Garcia really came out and had a tremendous year for them in their rotation. He's going to have a chance. You know, he's going to be. I think he and Rosarena are probably your your, your top two candidates for AL Rookie of the Year. Um, and, and if Luis Garcia, you know, if the Astros are going to go deep, then I think Luis Garcia has to have a good postseason. So he might be the most critical rookie in, in the postseason, at least in my mind.
1: As we're recording this, uh, we've already seen. Uh, some rookies in action in the first game of this year's postseason, the AL Wild Card game between the Yankees and the Red Sox, and uh, a couple of guys that uh, you know should play a pretty big role for the Red Sox on the mound in relief. We saw both of them in the Wild Card game, and Tanner Houck and Garrett Whitlock.
2: Yeah, and it, you know, it, it, I think we Tanner Houck. I think we played his interview from the rookie career development program. In January, several podcasts ago, but I remember talking to him and and, and we were talking some even after we were done recording the interview. I'm actually really happy to see Tanner Howick succeed because when he was a first round pick, there there was a chorus that like, oh, he's got a low arm slot and that doesn't work. You can't pitch like that. You aren't going to hold up. You know, never mind that the Red Sox, you know, had Chris Sale. On their roster at the same time, he's made a low arm slot work pretty well as has Madison Bumgarner and others. And, you know, at one point early in his career, tried to change his approach and become more of a four seam curveball guy to be more vertical. And he's at his best. And you saw it last night in the inning. I mean, he's got like one of the best horizontal breaking sliders in the big leagues. And, and, you know, when he pairs that with, with the sinker and mixes in a four-seamer, he's really effective. And then Whitlock, that was kind of like uh, probably the finer final bitter pill for the Yankees last night. You know, here's a guy who was in the Rule 5 draft, um, and the Red Sox took him. He'd had Tommy John surgery, hadn't pitched in a while. And he was, at some points of the season, the Red Sox' most valuable pitcher, certainly their most valuable reliever, and he closed out the wild card game last night.
1: And Jim, how about uh, for the Giants, uh, Camilo Duvall, a guy who, yeah, I would say kind of came out of nowhere. Um, you look at his minor league numbers, and he walked 109 batters in 194 innings, including 24 and 30 innings in the minor leagues this year. And then, uh, you know, suddenly has harnessed uh, some control and command and uh, walked only nine batters in 27 innings in the big leagues, posted a five and one record of 3.00 ERA, 192 average against, struck out 37 batters in, in 27 innings. Um, I guess something that uh, you couldn't necessarily see coming.
2: No, and no, I think I did hottest rookies a couple weeks ago and he was you know really in some ways their best reliever you know down the stretch and you know it's funny with international pitchers you with a lot of the better international hitters those guys sign you know right away when they're eligible and they're 16 and they sign for millions of dollars um and and Duvall was a guy who had to wait more than two years to sign he only signed for a hundred thousand dollars and between the time he signed and got to full season ball his fastball jumped about 10 miles an hour he hits triple digits. It's got high spin rates and cut and sink. He's got a hard sweeping slider. And, you know, like you mentioned, I mean, he never, he's got a lot of effort in his delivery. It makes it hard to control his pitches and adds deception. Um, and then he started finding the strike zone more than ever before. And, you know, was, was really their best reliever down the stretch. And, you know, for team, the 107 games, <laughs> every one of those wins, meant something because the Dodgers won 106, you know, and they held them off to get the, the, get the first round by, but, uh, you know, he's, you know, it'll be interesting. You know, it's, uh, you know, I think I had him, I'm looking here. I had him ranked 24th in the, in the Giants system coming into the year. So he was on our preseason, uh, top 100, um, and, you know, saves in three of his last four appearances and a couple wins too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, the giants I, I think i mean i don't know if anybody's done a story on this i mean of the teams that if you know you know want to draw the cutoff at like 105 wins you know, teams that have had these huge seasons in in the history of major league baseball the giants might have come out of nowhere more than anybody i mean you look at the roster it's a it's a you know it's a mix of older guys like buster posey and brandon crawford and Brandon belt's hurt now, but guys who seem like their better days were behind them. And, you know, some younger guys like Duvall who came out of nowhere and a bunch of these, you know, low budget free agent signings, all of whom seemed to pay off. Um, you know, if you told me the giants made the playoffs, maybe snuck in as a wild card, you know, they contended the last two years. I could have seen that, but like, what was the over under on giants wins for this year? I mean, they had to exceed it by about 20 or 25 wins.
1: And Jim, that uh, kind of dovetails neatly into our next segment uh, where we are going to talk about rookies and uh, in terms of their performance in 2021, we're going to rank them uh, based on their performance in 2021 and also uh, based on their future value and something that, you know, talking about the Giants, something that uh, we noted yesterday when we were looking at this, we looked back at. I think the, what, seven years that you've done the story where you rank rookies based on their future value. And every team has had at least three players on those lists, uh, which is a a top 30 list uh, was once a top 25 list. But every team has had at least three players on that list, with the exception of the Giants who have not had a single player on that list. And that kind of reminded me that the Giants are often that team when, you know, we just sort of internally talking and quizzing each other But which team is the only team that's never had this or has had the fewest top 100 prospects over this period of time. The Giants is often that team. Um, and I think that kind of speaks to what you're saying here is how, how they've just come out of nowhere.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, and you know, it, it's, it's been two different regimes, you know, the Farhan Zaidi's, you know, regime has replaced Brian Sabian's regime, which won three world series. But, you know, when they were winning those world series, I don't think they ever rank high in anybody's farm system rankings. Like you said, not a lot of top 100 prospects. They just seem to have a, do a nice job of, you know, finding pieces that fit well together. And, and even though it's a, it's a different front office, they're, they're, they're continuing to do the same thing.
1: All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about those rookie rankings, and we will dip into the listener mailbag. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, Jason Ratliff here talking rookies now. Uh, we have throughout the course of this season done a rookie power rankings. Uh, we knew that, that Jim's annual story where he rooks, uh, ranks rookies based on their uh, projected long-term value. We knew that that, that uh, bubbled up a lot of rage with fans uh, every year, it, it introduced Rage Week uh, at this time last year on the podcast. Uh, people always upset about that story. I don't think we knew going into this year that our, our weekly or our bi-weekly uh, rookie power rankings uh, would have a similar reaction but on in a uh, in a bi-weekly instance so we got a, we got a lot of rage over the course of the of the season and uh initially uh early on that was largely due to uh the perception that jonathan india was under and he turns out to be uh number one on the season end rookie power rankings Uh um, I guess Reds fans were, were right. Um, Guys, I think, I think the thinking early on when India was uh, looking like uh, the front runner for the National League Rookie of the Year, there was just question as to whether he would continue that throughout the course of the season. I think there was some thought that Ian Anderson would return to form. He was kind of the odds on favorite at the beginning of the season, Dylan Carlson had high expectations that he started to sort of live up to at the end of the season, but, uh, uh, had somewhat of a quiet season relative to his expectations. Um, but your, your thoughts on, on that, uh, whole situation.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there were a couple of things that play some, you know, some of those things you brought up, you know, uh, at the same time, you know, a guy like Trevor Rogers of the Marlins was pitching very well. And honestly, if he, if he hadn't missed a bunch of time, uh, with, with back issues, I think he, might have been at the top of this uh, list ahead of Jonathan India. Yeah, you know, India was good, but rarely absolutely phenomenal. And I know that you know the Reds fans you know have their ire uh, peaked again, um, and it's already happening. I think with Jim's uh, long term. Uh, ranking, value rankings. so We'll get to that in a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, that that was it. And and even with Jonathan India finishing at the top, um, it was kind of, he was very steady. He was good. I think he's going to be a good major leaguer for a long time. He's got a good approach at the plate. He was a valuable leadoff hitter for them. He's got some power. Um, You know, maybe he'll take another step forward, but he was good. You know, this was not a year where there was a guy who, really, you know, kind of jumped off the, the page, you know, even, you know, Randy and Rosarino, we combined the leagues for this and, and Rosarino was number two, you know, performed well down the stretch, but, you know, given what he did late last year and in the postseason, every, you know, a lot of people expected him to run away with us and he didn't, uh, you know, I think the one guy who we kind of mentioned uh, and he finished, Six is Wander Franco, and he just didn't play enough. You know, seventy games, and then he missed some time with the hamstring injury. Uh, but hit well once he got back. Uh, I, I think that had he played for longer, he might have been the guy at the at the top of the list. That I, I don't think there was that much separating a lot of the guys up and down the, these these rankings. Uh, and, you know, and, and keep in mind, and I think Jason, you alluded to this, is that. Over the course of the year, what we were trying to do was do it based on performance, yes, but also what we think they're going to do for the rest of the year. So, you know, Jonathan India was performing fine, and, you know, that's why he was on the list but not ranked as highly, and we thought, say, a a, a Dylan Carlson would perform better or or an Ian Anderson who we had, you know, those are two very good examples of guys that we thought, all right, they're going to kind of pick up the pace, and be the rookie of the year type candidates we thought they were going to be. And, you know, Ian Anderson had, had a good year, not a great year. And, uh, and Dylan Carlson, as you mentioned, finished strong, but overall the year was just okay. That's why he, you know, he landed on, on the overall list, but, um, you know, but lower down he ended up ninth. And I think probably the guy who, you know, now is getting the, the most sort of negative feedback on Twitter is the fact that we had Ryan Mountcastle who hit 33 homers this year. Um, We had him at number eight and that was, you know, offensively low to, to Orioles fans.
1: Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's one that I I thought we should probably address because that has certainly been the one that has drawn the most ire. Uh, Jim, you angered Orioles fans a few years ago. Uh, at your perceived slight of Trey Mancini and your long-term rankings. Uh, But with Ryan Mountcastle here, a little explanation as to why he ranks uh, number eight overall in the rookie power rankings, which is what, uh, one, two, three, four, five, sixth in the American League.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to when you're looking at the total value of the player. I mean, in terms of You know, home runs, you know, he led the American League or led all rookies with home runs with 33. But and again, I mean, he's he he does some things well. He does other things not so well. Doesn't draw a lot of walks. He had a 309 on base percentage, which is obviously substandard. And he's not a very good defensive player at any position. I mean, he's probably best suited you can argue he's better suited at first, but he might be better in left where he affects less balls in play. But he has, you know, some of the, if you look at the various defensive metrics, some of the worst defensive value of any of the rookies. So, you know, if you focus on the home runs, yeah, he should be a lot higher. If we were doing rookie home run rankings, he'd be number one. But I think when you look at the total player and he's a good, and you know, again, the the power is real, but you're getting, In some ways, a one-dimensional player who hits for an okay average, doesn't draw many walks, does have a lot of power, and has no defensive and not much base running value. So when you add it all up, I think that's why he is where he is, not that Orioles fans are going to want to hear any of that.
1: All right, so the overall rankings uh, go like this. Jonathan India, Randy Rosarino, Trevor Rogers, Luis Garcia, Adoles Garcia, Wander Franco. Emmanuel Classe, Ryan Mountcastle, Dylan Carlson, and Alec Manoa. Uh, guys, do you both have uh, Jonathan India as your National League Rookie of the Year? And if so, uh, how close of a call is that to you with Trevor Rogers? I know it's a little difficult when when doing these rankings to compare hitters and pitchers. I think it's you know kind of apples to oranges, but you've got to make that call in voting for the Rookie of the Year. Uh, your thoughts on that one?
2: I, I did have a number one, but I had it very close. And, and like Jonathan said, I think if Trevor Rogers had not missed time, then Trevor Rogers very well might've won. And I, I think you could still make a case if you wanted to make a case that pitching's harder to find than hitting. I think you could make a case where you still could vote Trevor Rogers number one, because he had a, a, a two, six, four ERA in 130 innings. And, I don't know if either of you read my uh, my long-term value story, which we'll talk about in a moment, but there's only two rookies in the last 25 years who've pitched that many innings and had an ERA that low. So that's a, that's a pretty special performance. Do we, Would either of you care to guess who those two rookies were?
1: Well, I should just pop on over to your story here. Yeah, I've so seen neither I, of you have I read
0: should, it, so this is good. I've not, but I it, not read it's it. Hurtful, um, but it's still good for the How place. far back did we go here?
2: 25 years. Only Only two pitchers. Have pitched 130 plus innings with an ERA lower than 2.64.
1: Hmm. I'm going to guess Jose Fernandez and Walker Buehler.
2: I see I think you looked up the story, but yes, you <laughs> would be correct. Not, that's, not a guess.
1: that's that is pretty impressive company. You're right.
0: Yeah, that is. Impre- you know, it's funny because the more I think about it, uh, you know, I, I had India won also uh, in, in these rankings, so you know, he would be uh, my National League Rookie of the Year. But, you know, he he was probably the best overall performer, but not by a lot. Trevor Rogers compared to especially just in the National League, the rest of pitching was by far the best pitcher. Um, So, you know, it is apples to oranges a little bit. And It's funny if, if Rogers hadn't gotten hurt late and had come up, say, in the, you know, in in May. You know, missed, you know didn't, I mean, would we be thinking about it differently? How much is our perspective skewed because he was out later in the year? I, I, you know, I didn't really consider that. Um, but I, I think you can make a very strong argument that he's he was the best rookie in the National League. So okay.
2: Reds fans, Jonathan just said that even though he wrote the story where Jonathan India was the number one and, ranked rookie. And I rookie. voted for
0: him first. He's I'm,
2: changing his mind now. Yes. And Jonathan India does not deserve it. Okay. So, so you're, lash you're just, out at Jonathan. You, on yeah,
0: Twitter. you're you're just trying to get them off of your back because of where you rank Jonathan India in your long term.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: There's your segue, Jason.
1: Well, qu- quickly, I want to I want to have you guys uh, talk about the American League quickly because that is uh, in our overall rookie prospect rankings the american league is uh much more represented than the national league and i'm curious uh I, what you guys think about the rookie of the year voting there obviously uh, i think that's reflected in these rankings with a rosarina second but then luis garcia at four adolis garcia at five wander franco at six uh Emmanuel at seven mount castle at eight manoa at ten I feel like this could be a pretty splintered vote.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still think Araza, Reyna and Garcia. It's going to be kind of a two-man battle. I, you know, I, I don't think there's with Franco. I think he would have been the best rookie. He just didn't have enough at bats, and and like so, I don't think his counting numbers are going to put him in consideration to win the award. And Garcia was so good early and really tailed off late that I don't think he's going to be really a contender. You know, class pitched very well in relief, but he's a reliever. So in the end, I do think it's going to come down to a and Garcia. In retrospect, I'll be honest, the guy who had a better performance, you know, he only had 20 starts, but Alec Manoa probably deserves a little bit more credit than he got from us, or he's going to get from the voters because he was pretty dominant in those 20 starts.
0: Yeah. He was a really, really good. And, uh, you know, if anyone saw him pitch, you know, last Saturday when the blue Jays were still hanging around trying to make the playoffs, um, that was quite a statement, uh, you know, 10 strikeouts, one hit, uh, but, uh, obviously you don't pick a rookie of the year on one start, but he was really, really good. And I agree with you, uh, that maybe he should be higher. And I also think, and I'm not saying this too quiet, the, uh, the Orioles fans uh, on Twitter, my guess is Ryan Mountcastle gets more rookie of the year votes than where he's ranked on this list. So like he probably is ahead of class a, um, who finished with him, and he may even end up ahead of Wander Franco just because Franco only played in the 70 games, although Franco's got some name recognition there as the the top prospect in baseball. So it wouldn't surprise me if Mountcastle leapfrogged some of those, and maybe even ahead of Adales Garcia, um, only because Garcia really tailed off late in the year while Mountcastle was, well, not great in September, overall in the second half was stronger.
1: I feel like I've been hearing quite a bit of chatter about Wander Franco uh, being the American League rookie of the year. 308 plate appearances this year. Has any has any rookie of the year ever had fewer plate appearances? Do,
0: do you think? know the answer to that question that you're asking?
1: I do.
2: Last year's rookie of the year, rookies of the year?
1: Well, uh let's I let's not have count, to let's not count last year <laughs> in general.
2: Um, <laughs> how about Willie McCovey way back when?
1: That's the one. The Nicely one, done, one time that a player's had fewer than 308 plate appearances in one rookie of the year was Willie McCovey in 1959 only had 219, uh, plate that's appearances unfair
0: because that Jim covered him as a prospect.
2: That's right. He, he was number one on my 1958 1958- top 100 prospects list even though i was not quite born yet
1: so he uh, appeared in only 52 games that year uh but averaged one home run for every four of them uh which is what 13 um and hit 354 with a 22 game hit streak so his numbers uh you know gaudier uh than wanders but wander with the uh Record tying on consecutive games on base streak for a player 20 or younger. Uh, Ryan Howard, the second fewest plate appearances ever for a rookie of the year in 2005, had 348. And then just a couple years ago, Jordan Alvarez uh, with 369 plate appearances. But uh, you you guys don't think that that's going to, 308 plate appearances is going to cut it for Wander.
2: I, I don't. I want to go back and touch on Willie McCovey for one second. Um, what's amazing is with that year he had, obviously he was limited to first base. The Giants also had Orlando Cepeda. Willie McCovey was not a full-time player till four years after that 1959 season. He got about 300 plate appearances a year the next three years. And then in his first year as a regular, he led the National League with 44 home runs. So, Willie McCovey had this great career one of the all-time great left-handed sluggers, but he might have approached 600 home runs had they found a way to get him into the lineup on a regular basis before he was 25 years old.
1: Jim, where did you have him in your projected future rookie rankings in 1959?
2: You You know, I'd have to go back. I I don't have that story in front of me, but I I, I want to say I think I had him number one. Okay. (laughs) All right, um, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm trying to remember who else might have been on that list, but I, I want to say number one.
1: All right. And this year's number one uh, is Wanda Franco. Uh, probably no surprise. 20 years old, the youngest player on this list. Were, were there any other? Oh, uh, you know what? I actually,
2: years? you guys, I was wrong. I had Bob Gibson number one on that 1959 <laughs> list. William McCovey <laughs> was it? number two. You found your Cash word was number three. That was my top 30. That makes many. sense. I
0: mean, McCovey only, you know, he hadn't played a lot and you you, you weren't sure how he was going to fit into the lineup over the next few years. So it makes sense.
2: Yeah. yeah. Plus, you know, future value, you know, also Gibson, great basketball player. So there was a potential two sport deal there like that, that could have factored into his value as well.
1: Yeah, I remember uh, the, the Giants fans on Twitter were up in arms. Uh, Very much so. All right. So, this, this year's list now, this is Jim projecting the long term value, the career of these players. This is not based on what they did this year, it's not based strictly on where they were ranked as prospects, um, but that does certainly factor into it. And number one on the list is Wander Franco. Uh, and Jim, I think, you know, in talking to you about this, this list was pretty hard for you to put together. I know number two is Jared Kelnick. And I think, you know, people might uh, raise an eyebrow at that based on his performance this year. Uh, number three, Key Brian Hayes, another guy who, you know, going into the season, look, he was our our kind of uh, runaway favorite for National League Rookie of the Year and obviously was uh, derailed uh, by injuries. Um, and then Keeper Ruiz is number four on the list. Dylan Carlson number five. Alec Manoa number six. Trevor Rogers number seven. Andrew Vaughn number eight. Randy Arozarena number nine. And Jose Barrero number ten. The entire list of thirty is on MLB.com/pipeline. You should check that out there. Uh, I'm going to guess that uh, people again will be will think that Arozarena is too low. Uh, I'm going to guess that. Let's see, at the top 10, I think people will, will probably question Kelnick being so high. Uh, Jim, tell, just give us sort of your general thoughts on on this list.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's one of these things where everybody always gets outraged. I don't think they ever read the disclaimer at the beginning. <laughs> yes, Jerry Kelnick was terrible for three months, was better in the final, final month. He's not going to get any Rookie of the Year votes. Um, but he's 21 years old. And, you know, I, I think the biggest thing people forget when, when we're doing these lists is you have to look at age. I mean, age that you make the big leagues, age that you become a big league regular is does correlate very strongly with your career success. And even though Kelnick struggled, I mean, he was ranked the number four prospect in baseball for a reason coming into the season. And even though he struggled I mean, he was an everyday player on a team that just missed the playoffs at age 21. Um, and you compare him. <laughs> I'm sure Harold Reynolds, if he's if he's looking at this list, is, is thinking I'm insane again. But Randy Orozarena, Orozarena was impossible to rank for this list, honestly, because we've done this list. This is the seventh one we've done. I've never had a 26-year-old in the top 10. I mean, he's, you know, Jerry Kelnick's going to have five, you know, if everything equal, five extra years of his career to build on than, than Orozarena would. And you know again you know I, I haven't even looked because it's kind of a waste of time just to see people going nuts on Twitter but like we said Jonathan Indy is probably going to be your rookie of the year in the National League and I've got him 22 because he at age 24 he's older than a lot of the players on this list um Ryan Mountcastle who's only also 24 is 27th on this list Luis Garcia who we mentioned also 24 is 26th on this list and, and yeah I mean I've been getting blasted on Twitter but that kind of kind of goes with the territory, but it, it did feel tougher than usual. You know, usually, you know, looking back, you know, Jason, you went back and looked at the archive yesterday. I mean, our top five, you know, the first time we did the list the top five was Correa, Bryant, Buxton, Lindor, Addison, Russell. It's a pretty I mean, Addison Russell faded, but that's a pretty good top four. And then, in, you know, future years, Seager, Bregman, Urius, Trey Turner, Bellinger, Devers, Mankata, Judge, Acuna, Soto, Otani, you know, Walker Buehler, you know, 2019 Guerrero and Tatis Jr. were one, two, followed by Alvarez, Jimenez, Bichette. I mean, those are all loaded lists. And, and this year, for whatever reason, and, and I think last year was the same. And again, you know, last year, you know, you want to forget, you know, it, with the pandemic. But like this year just did not feel as dynamic. It, it also was, I think, the oldest list we've had. For whatever reason, a lot of the better performers were older. You know, last year, which I, I go back to 2019, that loaded list, the first seven players on it were 22 and younger. This year, I think I had six 22-year-olds on the entire list. So for whatever reason, and I don't know if this is pandemic-related and it's kind of goofed up the last two years, they changed the rookie rules, Some more guys graduated. And again, this is only graduated rookies. It's not guys who came up and, and got a cup of coffee. But you know, Wander Franco, Franco would have would fit in very nicely with those past years, and I think Kelnick will hold up too. But this is just not; these last two rookie classes have not seemed as strong as the ones that preceded them.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting. We talked about this uh, when you were putting the list together. I do think that last the oddity of last year plays a part. It will be interesting to see if there's some you know, uh, lag to their, their legs to this, that, you know, guys are getting to the big leagues a little bit older, uh, because of that law lo- that last year, or we're eventually going to sort of, uh, you know, see the chart go back down and you're going to get the, the guys younger up, uh, you know, you're going to see more Kellnick's and Franco's and, and fewer, uh, you know, well, Rosarina I think is an outlier, but even the guys who are on this list who are 23, 24, um, you know, like a guy like Logan Gilbert, who you had 11 on the list of the Mariners. So I'm a huge fan. I think he's going to be a really good starter for a long time. Uh, you know, if, if it last year had been a normal year, he may have been up last year. Right. And, and as a college guy to get up at 23, doesn't seem quite as, you know, uh, old, quote, unquote. Um Although it did lead to a joke, us joking about the fact that, you know, Randy rosemary being 26, being old is outlandish um, in the real world, but in, in given for this. But, uh, you know, I, I'm curious to see what kind of long term effect the craziness of last year has on development and, and the age of guys getting to the big leagues and impacting as rookies.
2: And one thing I noticed when I was working on this story too, and and I mentioned it, I think to Jason and, and he he noticed that he thought it was unusual. And I agree. None of our top 15 prospects on the top 100 have a day of major league experience, which is interesting. I think that's unusual. Mm-hmm. We you have some guys who've, who've gotten a little bit of time at the end of one season going into the next. Um, but that is not the case. You know, Joey Bard at number 16, who's not that far from graduating is the only player is the highest ranked player who's played in the big leagues to this point.
0: The curtailed September call-ups also have something to do with that. You're not calling up 10 guys.
2: That too. Uh,
1: One thing on this list that, that stood out to me and I know we, we talked about this when you were putting the list together, Jim, and maybe you can talk about this a little bit is the fact that Casey Mize, who was a top 10 overall prospect in baseball, uh, in 2020, he was number seven entering the season. This year, he was number 11 entering the season. Um, didn't, by any stretch, have a bad year. Uh, I feel like he had kind of an, an underrated year. I know he didn't miss bats like you expected he might, but uh, he is number, what, 16, 16 on this list and ranks behind uh, teammate Tariq Skubel. Tarek um, Ian Anderson, Tristan McKenzie, Logan Gilbert, uh, Trevor Rogers, Alec Manoa, all of those pitchers. Um, talk a little bit about about that uh, dip in expectations for Mize.
2: Yeah, and I mean it's relative because, like, again, you're, you're you're ranking these guys, so it's like A, B, C, D. I, I think you could throw all those pitchers in a clump. I mean, I do think, and it's not, you know, like we said, it's not just based on this year's performance. I do think Manoa and Rodgers, with their performance and the quality of their stuff and how it played, I think they've separated themselves from the pitching group at this point. Again, if we did this list a year from now, it might change. But behind them, I think you could take all those guys you just rattled off. Logan Gilbert, Tristan McKenzie, Ian Anderson, Tarek Skubal, Casey Mize. Right behind him, Shane McClanahan, Josiah Gray, Luis Patino and I think they're all fairly equal. I, I think you could also honestly throw in, and I rank these guys a little bit lower because it's unclear if they're going to start or relieve. Michael Kopech, Nate Pearson, Garrett Crochet. So I don't even know how many pitchers that is. It's got to be about 10. I, I think you, if you told me that those guys would, I guess it was actually 11. It, those guys could wind up in just about any order. I, I, I'm, I like Casey Mize. I still like Casey Mize. You know, talking to some guys who, who, who have pro and, and, and major league scouting coverage, like, he's just not been – and again, I mean, like I said, I, I could easily ranked him right up there where Logan Gilbert was. He just hasn't been as dominant as expected or as the guys, you know, I did rank ahead of him. I mean, his his splitter's good. It hasn't been the, you know, unbelievable pitch it was in in amateur baseball. His control and command, which were superlative, have been more average-ish. And he's been kind of hit around. Like he's – I think – yeah, and it's not even close. Of all the pitchers I ranked ahead of him and even all those other guys I mentioned behind him, he's the only member of that group to give up more hits than he has strikeouts. And most of them aren't even close. Like most of them have well more strikeouts than hits. So, you know, there's a little – you know, I don't know quite – quite what to make of casey mize um and so that's why he wound up 16th on this list but again if you told me he outperforms that that whole big pitching group of 11 guys i I could see it because i i I think you're i I was really splitting hairs between those guys
1: all right quickly uh looking back over the the seven years that uh, we've done this story uh Probably not very surprising. The White Sox, Dodgers, and Rays have had the most players on these lists, with 11 each, followed by the Braves, Astros, Pirates, and Cardinals, who have each had 10. And uh, mentioned before, the only team that has never had a single player on one of these lists, that's <clears throat> the top 30 rookies projected future value, um, top 25 in 2015, but otherwise top 30, was the giants. All right. Let us wrap up by dipping into the listener mailbag. We have a couple of questions, one of which we've touched on already. Um, Let's go with the, let's go with the one we have not touched on yet first. Out of the 10 shortstops on the top 10 list, this question, by the way, comes from Sean Antman at Antman underscore 92. Out of the 10 shortstops on the top 10 list, who has the fastest path to the majors and who has the highest floor of them all?
2: You want to go first, Jonathan?
0: Sure. I mean, I'm tempted to pick the same guy for both. Um, I mean, Bobby Witt is the guy who's going to be in the big leagues the soonest. Uh, he is number one on the list. He made it up to AAA, uh, performed well there, uh, made some noise you know in the spring to make the opening day roster. Uh, I think we've sort of touched on him last couple of podcasts just in terms of, you know, uh, I think we answered a, a question, Jim, you and I on you know guys who might be on opening day rosters, and I, I have a, a good feeling that the Royals would not hesitate to have him break with them uh, you know so I, I think that he is the he is the guy who will get there the fastest I'm tempted to pick him as the highest floor because I think he is going to be a very good player um, and it's easy to pick a guy who's already performed he's the one guy on our top 10 shortstop lists this is a very young list you know outside of CJ Abrams who got hurt um, who has performed and performed well at the upper level so you have a better sense of what he what he might be.
2: Yeah, I think he's clearly the the guy who's going to get there the quickest. I mean, of the top 10 shortstops, you know, who are you know, on our, our list, who are Bobby Witt, Marco Luciano, CJ Abrams, Marcelo Meyer, Noel V. Marte, Jordan Lawler, Anthony Volpe, Khalil Watson, Royce Lewis, or Elvis Martinez. We only have three guys with 2022 20, ETAs, and the other two, Abrams and Lewis, missed the bulk of the season with injuries. So I, I think Witt will will clearly be the first to get there. Yeah, I mean, I, I would give him highest floor because he's really the only one of these guys who's performed well above A-ball. Um, so I would say that, although I, I, I will as a, I guess, runner up to him in terms of floor. And even though this guy's barely played, I, I would throw Marcelo Meyer out there just as a guy who, you know, scouts considered the best hitter and best defender in this year's draft. But, I, you know, that said, I, I'll take Witt's floor since we know Witt can perform in AAA and, and Marcella Myers only played in the complex league so far.
1: All right. And I we have addressed this one already. Um, but Chris Windsor, we're not dodging your question here. Uh, chef Windsor. Chef, at chef Windsor on Twitter says, how can you justify taking money for MLB opinions when you think Ryan Mountcastle is the eighth place AL rookie of the year? Which, see, he didn't that, read the story not, either, because
0: he right. wasn't 8th place. place. He's 6th, but among the American League rookies. So, um, you know, splitting hairs. I think we talked enough about Ryan Mountcastle, but uh, in, in terms of what his the, – the shortcomings. Very good offensive season. I think he's going to hit a bunch of homers for a bunch of years. Um, but, uh, yeah, asked and answered.
1: All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. See you next week.